0: So as learning professionals, our job is to help people expand their minds. It's probably a good idea that we know how that actually works, right? Well, we're learning more and more, and we are here today to talk with Mike Vaughn about the latest in learning science and emphasizing how the brain learns on this week's episode of the Learning Geeks Podcast, which starts right now. <laughs> Men hey, on. hey, <laughs> hey, guys, hey, welcome, Mike. We're glad you're here.
1: Great to be here. Thank you, gentlemen.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, but before we dive in to the, the nerdy science stuff, it's kind of science. You know, I, I, you all who are listening can't see this, but we can see each other, and there's a, a poster behind Jake from the planet Bespin. It's like a travel poster for the planet Bespin. I found out yesterday that I'm going to be going to Bespin.
2: So I don't remember that from
0: my uh,
2: astronomy class.
0: (laughs) Yeah, where where is Bespin? Well, Bespin, of course, as everybody remembers, is the gas planet uh, that was featured in Empire Strikes Back. That's where Lando Calrissian's Cloud City is. But my wife and I have booked passage on the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser and uh, the kind of leaked the itinerary and it turns out that uh the first night we're gonna go to bespin and
3: apparently get a fireworks display <laughs> are you able to do any pictures from that are they restricting all of that i
0: have heard that they're restricting like I, after I, a certain I, point yeah i figured yeah i uh, just but... don't lo- don't lose your hand there
3: Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Don't fall down a shaft. Don't fall down a shaft.
2: lose your head. (laughs)
0: Because you don't know when it'll ever turn up again. You have no idea. But, you know, it's like Bespin is a gas planet, and I imagine that that gas is somehow combustible. That's why they mine it. So I'm a little afraid of there being a fireworks display.
3: Just let (laughs) us know when you're there, and I'll be wary of the force during that period and and figure out if at any point I hear, Jake, hear me. (laughs) Jake turns to Dana and says, we've got to go back. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, my Welcome Mike. At least Mike is still smiling through all this. I don't know if he's laughing with us or at <laughs> yeah. us.
1: No, I was uh, just reflecting on when I was a kid. I, I loved fireworks, and mm. uh, so much so, I accidentally set a side of a mountain on fire, <laughs> oh, and uh, it was a terrifying ex- uh, experience. Fortunately, the fire department put it out quickly, so there wasn't any damage, but I uh, learned my lesson with fireworks.
2: So Mike, is, I've known him for a while, and he's always been an experimenter. That doesn't surprise me, Mike, that you did that. I mean, in fact, I remember one of the first times that uh, I i sat in a discussion with Mike where he was talking about brain science stuff, he was telling me, uh, or he mentioned that he just happened to put his kids, he wired them up when they were out playing sports. And Mike, maybe you want to talk a little bit about what you did and what you learned, and if your kids have ever forgiven you.
0: And you know, before we even get to that, we 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 have actually been introduced to Mike yet. Danny, you want to do a quick introduction? Yeah, Yeah. This is Mike Vaughn.
2: (laughs) Hey, Mike. He's a friend of ours, and we've known. I've known Mike for quite some time, and we've uh, just kind of rubbed shoulders periodically at um, conferences where we're both presenting on various topics. uh, we always see each other uh, sitting in the audience trying to learn from each other. And we've grown a friendship over the while. He, uh, he's uh, he's he been instrumental in a company called Regis. They build uh, simulations. And I think a lot of his interest in brain science is um, how to make simulations and learning experiences the as impactful as possible. And uh, because he's done a lot of that study, uh, I thought it would be great to have him join us on one of our podcasts so we can learn from Mike what he's learned about how the brain learns and how we can integrate some of those things into
1: our learning interventions and I don't know if you remember Dana but uh, we escaped together out of an escape room
2: we mm-hmm. did yeah Mike was <laughs> Mike was coming to town and he said hey Dana I want to have a meeting with your team and I said okay but it's not going to be a regular meeting so we're going to an escape room and so we actually had a, a great uh, Jake was there as well we had a great uh experience and uh, trying to escape and we found out that what w- our debrief when we were sitting in the lobby or standing in the lobby we spent more time debriefing the experience than we did actually in the experience and mm-hmm. our debrief as learning geeks was hey what did you learn from that what did you learn about the strengths of other people and it was actually a pretty interesting discussion we had and i uh, to me it was very fruitful did you guys escape yeah, yeah. you did. We, we did record Good. time
1: yeah. Otherwise, I wouldn't have got the meeting with them. So <laughs> That's
0: right. There were pretty strict rules around that. That's great. Well, you must have had a good project manager then, because that is the secret to escape rooms is making sure you have good PMO. So tell us right, about so, your yeah. kids, Mike. Yeah, I want to hear this story. Why, why too, did you, yeah.
2: why did you well, wire them up, and what did you learn? And did, yeah. Have they forgiven you? Well,
1: they have, actually. Well, we're, speaking of escape rooms, so one of the things we do as a uh, holiday tradition is uh, – the whole family goes to an escape room together. So if you don't escape, no gifts. So it's, yeah, pretty straightforward. <laughs> Santa but, in the uh, box. And... <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, yeah. So I got um, uh, really excited about some of the early wearables that came out uh, a few years back, uh, specifically um, the ones that you could put on your head and look at the EEG and And uh, then a couple other wearables that came out that uh, just gave you some of that early biofeedback and I got really interested in it and started to say, well, I wonder if this could help uh, my kids, both in a mindfulness kind of way, you know, helping them learn how to kind of calm their nerves and then also just in a performance sort of way, uh, getting some more understanding of yourself in a competitive situation. So. Yes, I did actually hook up my kids in different uh, devices, and actually, my middle son, uh, who's now an engineer, actually helped build an EEG from scratch, and so that was kind of a cool thing that came out of all of that. Wow! But good news is, uh, we're still a tight family. (laughs) That's great. That's
2: great. So, Mike, one of the things when we talk with folks about um, learning science, there's there's kind of the brain sciency stuff, and then there's the more formal you know, like the ADDIE model and some of the instructional design stuff. And sometimes it seems like those are two different worlds. And And it's sometimes it's hard for for some of these neuroscience learning principles to be adopted, not only amongst us in the corporate, but also in K-12. What, why do you think that is? And, and are there some thoughts that you have on how we could bridge that gap a little better?
1: Yeah, that's a good point. So if you think about the traditional instructional design model, um, you know, often we fall back on like Bloom's taxonomy, you know, from knowledge, comprehension, and moving up the ladder to the synthesis, application, evaluation, and so on. And that is really guided training for a long time. And in my opinion, it perhaps kind of led us down a path to creating very linear type of learning and also led to, I think, uh, what I would say is kind of consumption-based learning versus experiential learning. And so from a neuroscience perspective, I think what we're learning a lot from neuroscience is really helping us understand how people experience content, how they engage with it, how they practice, reflect on the outcomes, experimenting with new ways of learning, evaluating their own thinking. Uh, That's that's kind of what we're learning a lot from neuroscience. But if you think about that, that's very opposite than a lot of the training that's out there. You know, take K-12. That's Pretty much a consumption model. Mm-hmm. Um, it's how much content can we squeeze into these young minds, and I think standardized testing uh, actually hurt that uh, because we try to squeeze even more into these young minds. Um, you know, we we've homeschooled for most of my kids' life, and one of the models that I love was this uh, Thomas Jefferson model, and the whole philosophy is very simple: uh, instill the love of learning into the young people. And so then that way, when they get to you know high school, um, they love learning. They're not you know checked out, and um, and I unfortunately I think that's carried on into college uh, levels as well, uh, where it's still somewhat consumption based. Now there's awesome universities. Well, an obvious one is like MIT. If you think about their master's program, it's all lab based, and you're constantly experimenting. You're evaluating. your thinking. You're testing new ways of thinking. Well, my guess is they've brought in a lot of neuroscience because they get it. Um, and then when we get to corporate, you're asked about that is uh, I think the biggest problem there is too many learning objectives are being squeezed in to courses. <laughs> and I think what happens is we as designers go meet with the business professional and the business professional is saying, people are broken. they're not doing the right thing, and they got to know this, they got to know this, they got to know this, 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 and this, and then by that time, uh, you're trying to squeeze all that into a learning, and once again, it's consumption-based. Amen. So I think that's what's really hurting us. Yeah,
0: and those same sponsors think that if it shows up as a bullet on a PowerPoint slide,
1: that everybody gets it. it. They got it. They got they've it. Yeah. That's right.
2: It's like snapping your fingers. Boom. Oh, they get it yep. because it was written down in six-point font. <laughs> right. Well, you know, reflecting on MIT, I a colleague of ours. Uh, I was chatting with him one time from the neuroscience department. He said, uh, he told me, he said, Dana, we know a lot about how the brain learns. We're just not very good at applying that knowledge. And I think you've gave some good illustrations. But there are circumstances, again, you mentioned MIT, where things are applied, where, we're, you know, the science, uh, we dig into it and we say, these are some practical things that can be done with that science in the, a learning environment. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, a lot of what you're doing in the simulation world reflects that. And then bob i'm going to bring you into the discussion too because i think there's some metaverse implications of of that as well
0: yeah well i mean we could even start with with talking about the the xr and the vr capabilities and I, just to touch on it briefly because i'm i'm betting with all of the buzz about the metaverse that's happening right now and the the hype around vr uh most learning professionals are 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 kind of glomming on to this concept and the evidence that uh, when you're fully immersed, it will increase your it'll increase your learning, it'll increase your retention. Uh, when you compare that to like a similar experience on 2D video, um, there's some research that shows that your brain has a very difficult time if it's even at all capable of distinguishing a memory of something that happens in virtual reality from it happening in real life, which, I think we've talked about that before, right? Like when we all went to the void and went into the Star Wars experience, when we think about that now, we think about actually visiting Mustafar and coming face to face with Darth Vader. With Darth Vader. We don't think of it as like, wow, we had headsets on and it was a really cool, you know, quote unquote game we played.
2: Yeah, because we actually didn't see the the physical walls that are there or, you know, the walkways that are there because everything was overlaid with, you know, with, with a VR Right impression, and so that's what we experienced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: yeah. My memory from that is, you put your stuff on the equipment, and then once you put the helmet on, it's as if like that's all you remember. In between is the actual scenes. You on the volcano planet of Mustafar, and that's it. Yeah. Like, that's all you remember. I do have to admit, I tilted yeah.
2: up the helmet once in a while just to kind of see what the to physical environment was like. Yeah. The walls were
0: Sheep. gray, by the way. <laughs> yeah. But, Mike, what are what are you guys finding? What are you studying on
1: that? Um, well, actually, you, you remind me of one thing when you were talking about the VR and, you know, just how the mind doesn't really understand the difference of it. Um, a simple technique that's uh, been around for a long time is visualization. Mm. So if you think about professional athletes, what they're doing in their mind's eye is seeing them perform. And so it's very much like VR, and uh, which is kind of exciting. Um, so I think there's going to be a lot of it. Um, so my, my personal research has, for the last about 20 years has been in an area called uh, uh, mental models, uh, otherwise known as mindsets or schemas. And my question has always been, Uh, how do you surface a flawed mental model? And then more importantly, how do you change it? So in other words, change behavior. So if you think about a mental model, it really defines how we interact with one another, how I approach decision-making, how I interpret certain situations, resolve a problem, is all defined through my mental models, which is crafted through experiences throughout my life. So as learning professionals, we got to think about, well, if we're going to help somebody, we got to help them, become aware of that mental model and change it. So my research really focused on an area of the brain called the ACC, the anterior cingulate cortex. And that's known as the error detection part of our brain. And so our whole hypothesis was that if we could trigger an error in the brain, then we could get someone to think about their thinking and perhaps think more deeply about it and reflect on that and say, is there another way to approach this? Is there another perspective? And so, uh, so that's uh, been a big influence in our life.
2: And how do you go about doing that in a learning context? How do you bring those
1: errors to the surface? To life? Yeah. Uh, Do you remember um, Daniel Kahneman's work, um, Thinking Fast and Slow? Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. System One, System Two. Uh, I really love that research. Um, You know, System One is our fast brain. It's, you know, quick judgment. uh, And it is uh, what marketing people and politicians love. Because you put some (laughs) bullet points together, and if it seems right, it doesn't create any cognitive dissonance, you kind of go along with it, right? You know, that's why a lot of politicians talk in bullet points. It's like they don't really want people to think deeply about what they're really saying. They just want it to feel good and sound good. So that's your system one at work. If you really want to change behavior, you really want someone to think about their thinking, you know, think, uh, adopt a new perspective, you got to trigger system two. And so what our research really focused on was uh, the types of questions we ask ourselves and the types of questions we ask of others. Um, the word choice makes a huge difference. Um, you know, just an uh, example I use all the time is, you know, just if you're asking your team something, you know, what should we do? Kind of puts people into somewhat of a stressful situation like, oh, what we should we do? If you simply ask, what could we do? The mind kind of opens up. To options. Uh, So we started using that same thinking about how do we trigger the ACC and trigger that deeper thinking. And uh, our research really led us to uh, words and questions and how we frame things.
3: Yeah, I really like, I mean, one of the things I was reflecting on this a little bit before, and I try to think of some of the practical tips going back, Dana, to your question. Yeah. And one of the one course I'm thinking about actually uh, did recently, I I, I utilized pop culture as like a structure to teach a specific topic, but that was just the fun of it. That actually just added the fun layer. That wasn't necessarily the true design principle It was just the fun layer. Um, But one thing that I thought about how I kind of framed that and designed it was really around starting off small, small goals. So what are we actually achieving here? We're, We're starting small with just a couple of goals in mind. And, it was really focused on progression, making incremental progress. And then with a, a loop, kind of a feedback loop of testing, going away, trying something, testing something, coming back to like the larger, or the group, the cohort group that we had, reflect, especially to articulate, reflect, start to refine those mental models. And then to eventually figure out how do I scaffold, how I give feedback, but then scaffold, then go test again, then come back, reflect. So it's kind of like this feedback loop that we had with addition to practice. So I've noticed that that's how I've been personally applying just the you know basic principles in a way that isn't as daunting, especially when we're so used to this dominant approach that we have.
1: I, I, I love that, Jake, because uh, you know my, why I got interested in neuroscience led me to um, simulations uh, as a learning tool. And the whole purpose of this simulation is to put people into different situations, uh, which they make decisions and then kind of experience the impact of those decisions, and then they reflect on that. And then they get experiment with new ways of thinking, experiment with alternative ways of approaching a problem, and then they get to reflect on that. And uh, that was kind of what we found is one of the fastest tools for changing behavior. And it very much follows that model that you just outlined.
3: So, Mike, we've been doing some kind of research and looking into some trends and other things, and I feel like every single year you always hear these big skills and skills that people need to learn. And you would hear critical thinking or problem solving. But for many of us, at least in the from that understand learning science, we realize that, yes, problem solving is good, but it also means that it usually has to be done in the context of something, something that you know, because you could say you're an effective problem solver, but also what are you solving? You need to have some type of base knowledge. So I wanted to kind of ask you and pick your brain on this. But when we, when you hear of uh, leadership, especially at, at clients and other places saying that we need to build skills, how do you do that effectively using neuroscience principles um, when sometimes many skills aren't necessarily taken as a standalone? Sometimes they do require a few different skills slash context areas, different areas. How would you go about that?
1: Well, I think you're bringing up one of the things that make um, the L&D professionals rather frustrated and make our job challenging, primarily because there's so many flavors of the month, if you will. So a new book mm-hmm. comes out with new skills or there's a new TED talk with a new way of doing something and then everyone kind of jumps on it. Mm-hmm. And then there's a big swing in learning and development to try to incorporate all those skills. And then there's a swing for new competencies. and I think that uh, that is tough Um, What, in my own personal reflection, what I've been thinking most about is uh, really how to how do we help people learn? How do we help people become better learners? Because the change is always going to happen. You know, Mm -hmm. six months from now, the business is going to be different. There's going to be new priorities. So how do you learn, unlearn and relearn quickly? And so if we could teach people really how to be better learners. You know, we we use the word lifelong learning a lot in our industry, but do we really understand what that means? Um, you know, it it's not just reading books your whole life. It's like, how do you unlearn a lot of things that you've been taught? How do you open up your mind to new perspectives? How do you suspend your judgment long enough to hear another human being express their values and points of view? Um, that's all about learning and how to learn. And so I think that should be the focus, um, not so much on competencies and more skills because that's always going to be overwhelming
0: that makes me think of the applicability especially for new joiners who would be coming in straight from you know a university environment where they are brought up the only way that they know to learn is that consumption model that we were talking about Mm -hmm. earlier Mm right and so that's a, a prime opportunity to uh to bring a mindset shift look at how many concepts we've talked about today yeah. i brought in there in that last sentence
1: yeah you did you put them
2: all in there that was great <laughs> i think i think if you restated it, you might be able to get three or four more in but that probably pretty
0: good.
1: <laughs> and do it all in vr <laughs> yeah.
0: what one question i had mike which is kind of related to that is is we talked about the consumption model being being outdated or maybe it really was never as effective as we all thought it was are are there other, habits or techniques or things that you see that corporate learning people are still doing today that fly in the face of what neuroscience tells us works
1: yeah and i think part of that's been exasperated just really about the last 18 months right so we had a everyone stopped that in-person learning so then that means that we went back to a lot of e-learning which is predominantly consumption-based and then you know virtual instructor-led training which can be a lot of slides, obviously people try to do their best by having activities in breakout rooms and so forth. But again, it's primarily consumption. Um, so the real art is how do you bring in some of the newer technologies, simulations, VR, AR, MR into the environment so people can can learn through experience, but do so virtually. And I think once we kind of get back to that, then that's when the neuroscience is really going to be helpful again. There's Certainly some simple neuroscience principles that apply to e-learning and so forth. You know, everyone's trying to make it smaller and make it more bite sized and make it more personal. All very good ideas and should be done, Uh, but it's rare that it's going to really change your thinking and make you a more productive um, employee.
2: Mike, going back to some of the presentations and discussions you've had, what are some common misconceptions or misunderstandings that people have about neuroscience and learning?
1: Oh, kind of like- the Myths. Myths, the, yeah, yeah. Learning- the 10% of the brain or-
2: Yeah, what are, what are some common ones that you've encountered in the discussions you've had?
1: Yeah, there's certainly all the ones I think uh, people know about is kind of learning styles. And, you know, people are right-brained or left-brained. And what we found out over the years is, you know, you activate your entire brain. Um, I think the one that I like is uh, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. <laughs> um, there's a, a great, great story about this guy, uh, James Henry. Uh, he made it through his life um, not knowing how to read. And he would go to a restaurant and, uh, you know, he'd order off the picture menu. But if he didn't, if he wasn't able to read it, he would just really repeat what uh, someone else was ordering and so on. So when he was 96, he learned how to read, and when he was 98, he wrote a book called *The Fisherman's Language*. Um, so the whole idea of you can't teach an old dog uh, new tricks—I I think you can—and <laughs> that takes us back to neuroplasticity, right. you know, which is uh, that our brain can change its cognitive and functional structure all through life, and. Boy, to do that in ninety six is rather impressive.
3: I only use that expression when I'm lazy. Which one? Neuroplasticity? <laughs> or not teaching old dog, dog. Yeah. <laughs> new tricks. <Yeah. laughs> I know I can. I'm just lazy. I don't want to. Dinner
2: do discussion it. <laughs> dinner discussion at Jake's house. So he just if he wants to get everybody's attention, he just starts talking about neuroplasticity. I can tell <laughs> the right. kids are just like ready to jump on that.
1: that. that's how I shut down my kids. That's right. <laughs> yeah.
3: But that does bring a good point, Dana. Like I mean, we've said this a few times in our podcast, the amount of times that I'm sure with our kids or whoever we're working with, how many times we do talk about these principles. I mean, for my girls as well, I'm always asking them certain questions. I'm trying to get them to reflect. I'm trying to get them to practice. Their favorite phrase or my favorite phrase that they know it is, is, you know, that's great. However, what's it going to take more of?
1: Practice.
3: Yes, it's going to (laughs) take more practice. (laughs)
1: Good for you, Daddy Jake. That's
3: great.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and Jake Jake says, yeah, and I'm building a simulation for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly.
3: I've got this perfect design for you <laughs> if you want to tackle this problem
2: so. <laughs> Mike, I just uh, w- another question um, you've been doing learning stuff for a long time. What is it that keeps you in the learning profession and and excites you about the potential of learning in the you know in the next 10, 15 years? or maybe 5 or 10 years, I don't know how big their horizon is, but uh, what w- why do you stick with the learning profession?
1: Wow, that's a deep reflective question. You just triggered my ACC. Oh, <laughs> <already>. <laughs> there we go. The ding, ding ding going. ding. There's it. Beep beep. Uh, why do I stick with it? Um, well, I I love learning personally. And so, you know, a lot of times we go into the things that we love to do personally in our life and I'd certainly love that. I love studying the brain and learning, so that keeps me there. But I think I'm kind of excited about some new technologies coming out, whether it's in the simulation space. Um, You know, we've completely reinvented the whole concept of simulations and are really excited about what that's gonna offer, both in the virtual world and in person. And I think that's gonna be a big game changer. Um, I'm really excited about wearables and biofeedback technology. Like I mentioned, I was excited years ago, but boy, it's come a long way. And if you think about it, if we could start to bring more of those into learning and actually say, okay, here's your brain on e-learning and here's your brain on a simulation. I mean, you're gonna see a whole different level of activation and engagement and emotion. And so I'm really excited uh, about how we're gonna be able to integrate kind of that hardware and software together to create entirely new experiences, whether it be virtual or even through a simulation.
0: Can you share some of that underlying new philosophy around simulations?
1: Yeah, it's, you know, so for a long time, I mean, Sims have been out there for a long time, right? And uh, the biggest problem with the adoptions of Sims, it's really they've cost too much. They're complicated to build. They're hard to deploy. Um, they're hard to do in a virtual environment and so forth. Uh, but there's new technology. Um, our company's one of them. And there's a couple others that have invented an entirely new way to author simulations from the ground up where it's a a template-based building block concept where you can quickly assemble a simulation based on different learning objectives that you're trying to achieve. That then puts people into a situation where they get to practice certain skills. And uh, what's neat about it is you got all the feedback that's baked into it. You have peer learning that's uh, baked into it. You have team kind of uh, competition that makes it kind of exciting, and engaging. And uh, you get a lot of reflection throughout all of that because you're making decisions and you get to see the impact of those decisions. And that's uh, really what it takes to trigger that deeper level of thinking and get people to maybe explore new ways of doing things.
0: Well, looking at the uh, Yield clock on Yield studio wall, we're we're coming to the end (laughs) of our time together. Mike, I'm curious if you had one or two words of wisdom you'd like to pass on to this generation of corporate learning folks, all of whom listen to our podcast, we hear? (laughs) Uh, What would those be based on your research into the brain?
1: Do your very best not to fall back into the consumption training model. So when that business uh, leader is telling you to put in all these different skills and competencies, um, have them really point out one or two and do a really good job on that. Not only is that going to make you a hero, people are going to love the learning, they're going to make connect the dots, and it's going to make a bigger difference. So whatever you can do to push back and, uh, and help them understand why, I think uh, everyone will be better off for it.
0: Mike, thank you so much for being here. It's been a great conversation. Yeah, thanks,
1: Mike. Yeah, thank you. I love this kind of stuff, so I appreciate it.
0: Well, thanks, everybody, and thank you to our listeners for joining us today. So on behalf of Mike and Dana and Jake, this is Bob saying push back on those stakeholders if they're if they're driving you crazy. Uh, Mike says so I'm going to take that I'm going to take that to the bank
1: there you and, go Give uh, yeah
0: work, work hard have fun and we'll see you next time on the Learning Geeks uh, real soon here so thanks take care bye bye take care thanks all